VBS might look different this year, and that's okay. There are four ways you can still do VBS this summer. Visit lifeway.com slash four ways to download your free ebook. No matter which option you choose, we're here to help. Hey, listeners, welcome to another episode of the Kids Ministry 101 podcast. We today are continuing our series on six considerations for regathering with your kids ministry. It's time to come back together. And we are double clicking on some of the sections within our six considerations ebook, which you can find and download at lifeway.com slash six considerations, lifeway.com, the numeral six or slash the numeral six considerations, go and get that free ebook. There's lots of great content in there, including all the things that we are talking about today and much more. And as we begin to evaluate coming back together, that's going to look different for each of us, depending on where we are in the country, the size of our church. And there are certain considerations really that we need to be thinking about um, as we begin to gather, but many things before we begin to gather. The time to consider these things is now. And so today I have three friends with me. I'm joined today by Klista Stortz, Melita Thomas, and Landry Holmes. Hi, guys. Welcome. Hey. Hey. Hey, good to be here. And we are going to talk today about two of the six considerations. We're going to discuss learning environments first, and then we'll talk about teaching resources. And these are two important parts of any kid's ministry, but things that we may need to reevaluate as we talk about regrouping and regathering. And so let's start with environments. You know, as we come back together, we know, first of all, that, that uh, federal, state, and local guidelines are going to impact how many people we can gather with. And at what distance from one another. Uh, but as we look at coming back together with our kid space, that number may be, even if the state allows us or if the government permits us to meet with larger groups, our spaces may or may not. And so we really need to evaluate our spaces and places where we meet uh, to see what we can do. And so we'll talk about capacities and cleanliness and several things around this. Let's start, uh, Clista, by talking a little bit about some of the anxiety that kids may be bringing with them as we get back together. Um, how, how will social, uh, what will be the social and emotional impact that we may have to address with, uh, within our classrooms? Um, you know, as you, as you spoke about that just now, I was thinking this could be, this could be applied to adults as well. I think we're all going to have somewhat some anxiety attached to this whole re-entrance into the world. But I think our kids, you know, I, we, I think we need to realize that it might hit them just a little bit harder, especially our young ones, our preschoolers, babies, you know, they've been with mom and dad or their caregiver, you know, whoever that might be, um, basically 24 seven for the past few months as that goes. And so there probably will be some regression back into some separation anxiety. Um, you know, bringing that baby to the door again to, to drop them off or, you know, hand them over to a teacher, that baby suddenly it's probably going to show some separation anxiety. So I think we have to be prepared for that. Um, you know, the, the cool thing I think about all of this, at least for churches that we've talked with in the past, is that we've tried to put some of these pl- things in place anyway. 
um, you know, for years. And so I think maybe just a refresher on greeting that child at the door, playing soft music or singing that child's name to her as she enters the room, um, something along that line, just to kind of soften the entrance back into the classroom. Um, preparation as they get a little bit older, you know, make that classroom inviting. It doesn't need, you need to have some things in there to say, hey, this is a happy place that I want to go be a part of. And I think that will, that will help this, this anxiety as well. Um, well, and we see that even in going to the store, right? So if, if I go to the Home Depot or, or Lowe's over the weekend, I'm, I'm thankful to be there and get the things that I'm there to get, but I can't help but notice that it's just weird, you know, uh, and so there's just a weirdness that's going on. And what you're saying is we need to be prepared for there to be a little bit of weirdness. Is that right? Yes. And the thing is, is we have to somehow, I don't know, you know, maybe even sending notes to a parent ahead of time so that they could even, I don't know, talk with their kids about it as, you know, depending on the age of the kid, um, but help that parent to know these are some things that are going to be different when you come back. And the better you can help prepare your child for that, um, you know, that that's going to help. Send pictures of the classroom if you can to to the parents so that they can show their child, look, here's your new classroom. Here's what it's going to look like. I think that's great. Also, even showing pictures of yourself. To remind that child, oh, here's your teacher. This is what mm. she's going to look like. I've seen some churches who have started to do that, to post like little montages of their teachers waving and even right. putting masks on and taking them off in case yes. there's masks that are in use. Yeah. yeah. So for younger kids, certainly separation anxiety. For kids who are a little bit older, we may have some disciplinary concerns <laughs> that we might need to be ready for, right? Kids, kids don't social distance well in general. They're going to be touching each other. Uh, and oh, some yeah. of them who've been cooped up may be a little uh, riled up. So what, what are your observations for us? How do we prepare ourselves for any disciplinary concerns? Well, first of all, I do think that we have to be prepared and just know this is going to happen. Um, depending, again, on the age of the child, I think if you can, you're going to probably have to remind them of some rules that were in place before, such as, you know, our hands belong to us. They don't belong to our friends, et cetera, et cetera. Um, very, very simple rules that they can remember. Now, you're also probably going to have to introduce some new rules. And again, I think you can maybe introduce some of those new rules by sending an email, sending a Zoom, maybe Zooming with your kids um, before you even go back. If the teacher is, a, is able to do a Zoom call or a Facebook Live or whatever with her kids to say, hey, guys, when you come back, we got to remember some things. And so that, again, will ease because I think our kids, to a certain degree, are going to have some anxiety about how's this going to change? Because I don't I don't like I hate I'm going to be I hate masks. I'm a little claustrophobic. <laughs> so those kinds of things. And I think if we can any anxiety that you can take away from a child, that behavior is going to be that much better. Because sometimes it's good, even in the moment, right, right as you're getting started, to just acknowledge those things. Yes. Hey, everybody, this is a little different, and we're going right. to do things a little different for a while, but I'm so glad you're here. And then, so acknowledge it and then move on. Yeah, because these kids, if you think about it, their world for the past few months has been completely different. More mm -hmm. than likely, they've not had a set bedtime as much as we parents would like to say, oh, we've kept our same schedule, et cetera, et cetera. More than likely, 
It hasn't happened as regularly as it did when kids were, you know, going to school outside their home. Um, they've not had to share. They've not had to interact with a lot of other kids. Um, those little preschoolers who've had their toys all to themselves all this time are going to have to understand taking turns and things like that again. And so we just have to help them re-socialize, re-enter the world in a social aspect. So there are, there are certainly social and emotional aspects that we need to be thinking about as we reopen. Melita, we also need to be really evaluating our spaces. So talk to us a little bit about what do we look for? It's probably a good idea to walk through your space before you regroup and assess what? What am I looking for? Sure. Well, there's, there's a lot that goes into a learning environment and space is a big part of it, but it also uh, has to do with the people who are in the room too. And that's going to impact our, our learning environments as well. And uh, I, I think we need to carefully evaluate not just the physical space, but the emotional space that we're going to occupy and making sure that we're doing everything we can to keep kids and volunteers safe and healthy emotionally, mentally, physically, mm -hmm. and spiritually as we proceed. And so one of those things is going to make sure, uh, is going to be that we need to make sure that we're still correctly staffed. Of course, we know we never want to put kids or adults in a situation where there is uh, only one adult in the room. So at the bare minimum, we're going to need two. And that may, for some churches, be the primary hurdle. Perhaps uh, the majority of your teachers fall into a, a high risk category and are unwilling to return as soon as you're ready for kids unable. to come back. Yeah, and, right. and so um, whether they themselves are high risk or they have people in their family that they need to protect, uh, our volunteers need to be given permission to make those calls for themselves and their families. And so it may be that we have to say we can only um, provide what we can staff and so it may not be that everything opens back up all at the same time. We can only do a certain number of groupings, or maybe we're, we're not going to have the same closely graded Bible study that we had before COVID-19. It may be that we have to have a more broadly graded approach because simply that's what we can staff. Mm. Um, so we, there's some excellent recommendations on page eight of the ebook. Yes. That's available at, at lifeway.com slash six considerations. And uh, that gives the, the ideal setting for how many kids and teachers total should be in a classroom. These were things that we at Lifeway had in place before the coronavirus hit. I think they're still excellent guidelines for a teacher child ratio and a maximum class size. Uh, because most all of them fall under the recommended caps for any kind of advanced phased reopening. They may not qualify in a phase one or phase two, but pretty much everywhere you look, once you get to the, the latter stage of phase two, phase three and beyond, you're going to be able to have a class size that might have 25, 20, 20 kids, four teachers, falls under that maximum. And so that that's really helpful to us. So I think we need to evaluate the the number of kids. We may have to have smaller class sizes. 
and utilize larger classroom spaces. Um, right. Because we need to build spacing between chairs. And absolutely. Things, right? Absolutely. And so, you know, you can remove chairs from tables to, yeah. to kind of force social distancing. You might decide to move to remove all the chairs completely and not, uh, you know, and have kids gather. You know, they have to sit for group time inside a hula hoop because that, yeah. you know, forces some extra distance while still allowing them some space to move. I love the hula um, hoop idea because you can actually make a game out of that. You know, you can oh, everybody try to hula hoop, sit in your hula hoop. I've heard people talking about putting shoulder straps on hula hoop so you can wear it around. And it's a fun <laughs> way to keep a barrier. But carpet squares or tape on the floor, all those kinds of things. towels. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so I think a, a lot of churches, um, there's this disturbing trend, I think, where they, they give their best spaces to their oldest yes. <laughs> church members uh, as if they've, you know, it's a rite of passage that they've earned. When the reality is the, the youngest of our children are the ones who need the most of our space because mm. they have to move. You know, as we're adults, we can sit in a chair and be content to sit for the length of our Sunday school class. But a kid can't do that. And so we may need to reshuffle and say, you know what, typically this would be a children's space and this would be a, a youth space. But during this time of reentry, we're going to turn the tables and we're going to put kids in this huge gathering space that we mm. used for our student worship because it gives us enough space to allow our kids to be in the same place at a safe distance and still engage with one another in their activities. Uh, you know, that's, teenagers. That's a, let's pause on that for a second. Because okay. I think that's a really good observation that a lot of leaders may need to, to, to think about is it's, it's highly likely that your student and your adult ministries are not gathering when they normally would. Right. And so spaces that are not normally allocated to kids may very well be available to you if you ask. And so partnering with other ministry leaders could be that maybe that's your fellowship hall that you take over, mm -hmm. you know, or some other space that's not a kid space, but a, but a large space. That's a great observation. Yeah, what yeah, I love about all of that, Melita, is how much fun that makes it for them to come back. And I think that it's going to take care of behavior problems as well. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I just, I mean, that's, that's a fun, exciting way to get to come back to church. Absolutely. And, you know, the other groups in your church who can be flexible, I think should be. And we, I think that's an okay ask. You know, if your adult classes have been meeting virtually, it, it may be that you offer only one or two of those on campus and you continue to offer the others through Zoom to allow for families with children to have a priority. I think mm -hmm. that's an okay ask. I think yeah. it's okay to ask our students, would you like to meet outside for the next six weeks. You know, we've got this great tent or we've got this drive through and you guys can take over this space. And, you know, it's not forever. It's for now. And I think yeah. that's going to be important as we begin to evaluate not just space, but also what we offer and when we offer it. We hear, uh, we've heard a lot during this whole pandemic, the, the word essential. We've talked about essential workers. We've talked about essential jobs. And I think we need to take stock of what is truly essential in our kids' ministry because we do a lot of stuff and not all of it is essential, at least in this, in this <laughs> setting of reopening. 
So, you know, we need, we need to think through what's truly essential and let's staff that first and let's problem solve for that. And then as the restrictions loosen and as we continue to move through this stage, we can begin reintroducing those things that were not priority number one. They're priority number two, you know. Now, there may be some other considerations in our spaces that are new. So things like hand washing stations or, um, you know, providing hand sanitizer. There's been some changing things. That, and one of the things that we know is consistent with this whole coronavirus is it seems like the rules change every every week. You know, so what was recommended last week may be different than what we're hearing today. And so we have heard some different things about the need to clean every surface between between group gatherings. And now we may be hearing that that's not as necessary. What are some of the considerations we need to keep in mind for, for the way we function in our spaces in regards to cleanliness and things like that? Again, uh, the the ebook that we provide, the six considerations, goes into some detail. But beyond that detail, I would still go to... Uh, links that are in the book for the uh, CDC, for the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Um, And also, uh, when you think about what you're going to clean with, go to the Environmental Protection Agency. Look at those sites. I know we're talking about taking more time and energy, uh, but I believe it's important. So while I, I can tell you a few things, it could change tomorrow, as you said, Chuck. Yeah. So be sure that you double check. In fact, right before we got on this podcast, Melita shared with me something that she saw yesterday today that's been a change from since we wrote this ebook. Yes. Here's what I would say is, first of all, this is a great time to clean out your cabinets and your drawers <laughs> and, and, and even your resource rooms. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and, and get rid of stuff, throw away stuff. You know, you don't need, if you normally have 10 children, 10 children, then you don't need 50 sets of scissors. You know, I mean, we collect, we're great at collecting things and, uh, we're not going to mention hoarding. We're just going to mention <laughs> collecting. And so now is a, is a great, uh, a great time to do it. <clears throat> so and also a great time to earn the trust of the parents who are bringing their kids back. If you can say we're clean and we're following this heightened level of disinfecting in our practices, man, that that helps me as a parent feel comfortable about bringing my kid back. That is another great observation. We, We really need to be sensitive not only to the minimum requirement that is put on us, but onto going above and beyond that to provide the maximum in terms of comfort and uh, and eliminating anxiety on part of the parents. So some of the things we may go above and beyond what's what's required uh, so that we can help people feel the most comfortable. And that's really what we need to accomplish. Yes, we do. And so, you know, you do want to go ahead and <clears throat> disinfect uh, surfaces. You probably were already doing that. Just need to be more vigilant, make sure that between uh, between services or between the times that the kids are there to the next groups there, you're cleaning doorknobs, you're cleaning cabinets, you're cleaning things. Uh, when you think about uh, supplies, you know, sometimes, depending on the age of the child, it's almost impossible to keep things out of their mouth. But, but something that we have 
known for a long time, but sometimes myself, I get a little lax, is to clean it before the next child gets it. But we just have to be diligent mm. in, in doing that. Uh, hence, the you, you want to have enough supplies for the children, whether they're consumables or whether they're toys or whether they're, you know, equipment. You want to have enough for the group of children you're going to have, but you don't want to have too many because guess what? You're going to have to clean every one of those. And also, <laughs> it gives them more opportunity to infect more things. you got to have enough, but not too much. And okay, so uh, let me use that as a, as a segue to the next part of our conversation. In, which, in regards to you want to have enough, but not too much. Let's talk about curriculum resources. So one of the other things that's a part of our, our uh, normal functioning is, is the purchase selection and use of the teaching materials that we use. Uh, and those resources, uh, the, the way that we have selected those resources may have been very different over the last nine weeks or 10 weeks. Um, but as we begin to gather again, we need to be thinking about teaching in person and having the print materials that we need. And we may also need to continue to maintain a digital presence because perhaps not everyone will meet at the beginning. Landry, why don't we begin with you here again, uh, continue with you. How do you choose curriculum as your ministry regathers? How does my thinking need to change? Well, I want to start with going all the way back to what Clissa was talking about, is that these children need consistency. Now, we know from an educational standpoint, they need consistency anyway as they're learning uh, the Bible. And as we're teaching children the Bible, they need consistency in how you're teaching. But even more now than ever, because of anxiety and uh, because their worlds have been disruptive, disrupted, then we need to provide consistency. So I'd say, first of all, now's not the time to change, completely change your curriculum scope and sequence and the curriculum you've been using. I would say stick with what you've been using. Some of our folks have been, uh, churches I know have been continuing using their curriculum in a, in Zoom meetings and mailing things to kids and, but they've kept that same rhythm so that they're keeping up with the Bible content, keeping kids in a scope and sequence, keeping kids in a Bible study plan that is progressive, that is uh, teaching truth on truth. So if that's and what you've been provided through, through COVID, we've provided many churches or we've provided to everyone the opportunity to stay on schedule through curriculum.lifeway.com and through digital pass. Uh, uh, and so we have uh, resources that we provided that have helped parents have resources at home. Uh, that may look a little different going forward too. But but the point being, we need to continue with a trustworthy plan of teaching, not just wing it for a period of time, right? Right. And so with that in, that's, with that in mind, then you, you know, okay, I'm going to continue using my curriculum. Well, but what do I need? Are there changes in what, how I order and how I purchase? And is it digital or print? And I think we find ourselves at least during a regathering phase of where we probably need both some digital resources and some print resources. And, you know, here at Lifeway, we are providing both of those uh, avenues. And, and we have also relaxed some of our rules about uh, how you can get, how you can make copies and how you can uh, provide some resources. And so we keep that current on our uh, sites at Lifeway, which uh, Chuck, you can 
point to those websites that let you know, okay, this is what you have permission to do during this season. Uh, it, that's why we're, you know, we're trying to help churches to be able to do, uh, thing, keep the curriculum going at home. So as children gather, if you're going to, uh, chances are you may have your children at first. Uh, and so you may decide that, hey, we've already mentioned this, but I'm in my age grading, I might need to have multiple ages and grades together. Well, maybe you need to shift to some of our broadly graded curriculum and uh, that, that can adjust better to, to all ages. If that's disruptive, though, for your teachers, you can take your closely graded curriculum and just make adaptations in it. Um, also, you may not need as many leader guides, but remember that as everybody starts gathering back together, eventually you will need all those resources. So I think you just, you've got to think in different worlds. You've got to think simultaneously. Some children are going to only be involved digitally. They're only going to be involved in Zoom. They're not, their parents don't want them to come back to church. We've got other families that their parents want them to come back to church and we're not open yet. Uh, and so you've got to, you've got to provide, uh, both. Also ask yourself the question, are you just going to have small group Bible studies? Are you going to have small group Bible studies and children's worship experiences? Or are you only going to have large group experiences? Those questions dictate the kinds of curriculum you need, the amounts of curriculum you need to purchase, uh, or, uh, get, you know, and whether or not you're going to need video or not when you, when you regather. So a lot of it depends on how you're, uh, how you're gathering. And also, most of us are going to have your teachers in our churches for a while. Mm. Um, and Krista, as we as we think about our resources, we, we need to not just be thinking about right now, but we need to be thinking a little bit down the road. So in terms of ordering curriculum and that sort of thing, we, we, as we begin to regather now in May and in June, we really need to be thinking about fall, don't we? Yes. This, I mean, normally you, you'll start to, to reorder for fall, you know, as early as what, maybe July, depending on what time of year you guys, um, what churches do. And so, yes, as June and July come, you know, I wouldn't base my, my curriculum order, um, for the fall as what I'm using right now, because like Landry said, I think we're going to have a lot fewer, um, that doesn't make sense. We're going to have fewer, um, kids, um, now that we're going to have in the fall. That's my prayer. That's my hope. And so I, you know, my hope, um, is that it'll almost be, you know, my children, the number of children I have will be almost back to normal, so to speak. And so, yeah, I would go ahead and, and think of it that way. Um, babies and et cetera, et cetera. Um, so yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to try to do that curriculum order June, July, based on what, what has happened last September, not what happened last March or this, this past March. Mm. So keep those things in mind. The other thing that came to my mind while we were talking about curriculum and using it again in your classroom is we, you know, we've got fantastic leader packs that go along with all that curriculum um, and the learner pieces, et cetera, et cetera. And learner packs to me are such a vital part of our curriculum. And so 
don't be afraid to still use those. Laminate pieces. We often tell people in preschool to laminate or cover with a clear contact plastic so that that too can be sanitized in between use with different kids. And so things like that, I mean, don't be afraid to, to just continue using those things and letting kids handle stuff. Um, but I would, leader packs to me are so important. So. And, and I would like to speak, Chuck, may I speak just a moment sure. to the activity pages? Uh, whether you have, whether you're used to doing digital or not, now's a great time to continue uh, using activity pages for every child that you have that is enrolled, not just Absolutely. for those that come. Right. So, you know, I know that my practice right now is uh, I mail every week, I mail activity pages that are on track, on schedule to the children in my class so that they can keep up. And I know that um, uh, I know our preschool minister does that. And on preschool Zoom worship on Sunday mornings, the children are holding up their pages that they've colored or that they've worked on, that they physically got in the mail. We can ask parents to print them, but so many parents aren't able to print them. So I say go ahead and continue buying the learner guides, the activity pages that you normally get and mail them. What I love about that, too, is that you're putting something, again, not in the hands just of the kids, but of the parents who are going to be taking a bigger part of teaching their kids at home. So I love that idea, Landry. So another consideration that's that's very real for many of us, Melita, is uh, is budgets. And a lot of us in the church may be experiencing reduced budgets or uh, uh, something of a, you know, a freeze of what we can do. And so as we look at um, resources in particular, and we look at our kids' ministry budget that may be reduced, um, I'm going to throw you a softball here. Are resources the place to cut? Should we, When we talk about cutting money, uh, is curriculum a place that we should be the first place we go to? Or are there other things we might consider? How important it is that we preserve our what we teach? Absolutely. I, I feel like that's one of the things that you think is going to be the best place to cut because it there's a little bit of sticker shock, I think, for us, you know, or the the thought of, well, we've not been using this in the same way. And so maybe this is is a place to cut. But I, I agree with you. It's the last place that I would be willing to cut because that is what anchors your church, what's happening in your classrooms or what is happening virtually. It's what anchors your teaching to the doctrine and the theology of your church it is what allows you what you are doing to be a strategic part of your church's entire discipleship plan for the life of a child. Not just this one year you're teaching, but the whole of the 18 years that your church has stewardship of this young disciple. And if it's all on your individual teachers to come up with a game plan for their class, they have no way of building week to week or year to year on what anybody else has been doing or been teaching. And so that to me is your anchor when everything else is, you know, the, the ship is being tossed around and water's pouring in and we think we're sinking we want to we want to hold to the thing that roots us and grounds us. What is our anchor? To me, that is a solid curriculum that we trust. Uh, that is 
that is full of the right kind of navigation for our lay leaders to be teaching gospel truths, biblical truths in a way that allows us to build foundationally concept upon concept year after year so that what we're doing is maximized in its potential to reach the heart and mind of a child. And so to me, yeah, absolutely the last place I would look to cut. Now, it may have to look different. We may adapt and, you know, we've talked about that. Uh, we, we may uh, also think that a shift to digital may be cheaper or that it may be more useful. And that may not be the reality. There are some, you know, hidden costs in printing and mailing and how you use those resources. And so I would encourage you to take stock of what you're, what you're doing, what your current needs truly are. Begin then planning for the future and expecting the Lord to show up and to provide. And you say, we're hopeful that by September, this thing is going to be well behind us. So trust God to make that happen and move forward in, in faith, making a wise choice for your church. We need to be faithful to make sure that what we teach matters. And we need to be faithful to be consistent in, in trustworthy content and, and teaching biblical truth in a way that, that is uh, organized around a wise plan for discipleship. And this is not the time to compromise what we teach for sure. Certainly if I have plans or if I had plans in my year to, to paint my classrooms or to get new chairs and new carpet, those are all things that can wait. And it may be time to press pause on some of those things. But content is king. And so much of what we uh, what we do in our ministry, uh, perhaps we get distracted by the bells and whistles and smoke and lights and stages and music and things that we do. But ultimately, we we must stick to teaching God's word in a way that is age appropriate. And that is, is like you said, built concept on concept, precept on precept in a way that uh, that connects with kids in an age appropriate way. So let us not compromise what we teach, guys. Let's uh, let's lean in on that now more than ever. Guys, thank you. Landry, Melita, Klista. Absolutely. Good to have you. Good we to so be appreciate fun. We appreciate you guys. You. you guys, um, listeners, make sure you get that free ebook, lifeway.com slash six considerations. In addition to the ebook, there's a download of some posters uh, that you can put up around your spaces that encourage things like hand washing and social distances and, and greeting one another without touching the air five or the foot five. And so there's a poster pack that goes along with that that can help you with your uh, messaging around your environments. But that uh, ebook, Six Considerations for Reopening Your Kids Ministry is our gift to you as we want to help you uh, as you serve the kids and churches in your community. Thank you for listening. We'll see you back again next time with another episode of the Kids Ministry 101 podcast. Podcast.